With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, sitting down with co-host Keith Myers, here to talk Seahawks football post-draft, uh, analyzing all the picks, uh, evaluating uh, what they did, and uh, whether we liked it or not, and how the roster kind of comes together after the draft, and and uh, so on and so forth. Welcome in, man. Yeah, it's um, an interesting, uh, interesting year, so... Last year, of course, you know, they found six key guys with a couple others that have a chance to uh, develop into uh, significant players. This year, you know, obviously we have to wait to see who that is and, and what happens. Um, but, I, you know, last year was a, a very high bar to try and, and get over. And I, I'm looking at this list of guys and I'm not sure they did, but uh, they got some really interesting and some a couple of really, really good players, even if they're not at positions where the Seahawks needed uh, to improve. Yeah, you know, like you said last year, Keith, we gave the Seahawks an A grade for the 2022 draft class pretty much right after the draft, you know, without seeing the, the results uh, on the field, just because we thought, based on, on the way the draft fell, uh, draft needs lined up with best players available, and it just seemed like uh, the draft flowed to the Seahawks in Seattle's favor um, without hardly any effort at all. It just kind of, the board fell and we made the picks and um, the results were, were self-evident mm-hmm. this year. Um, I thought they, you know, 
it didn't fall as easy as it did last year for sure. But I thought they pivoted and made the best choices at the spots that they could have at, at the time for me. Like, for example, the first round, I know that everyone, you know, going into the draft mentally was ready for them to really uh, attack and address the primary needs on the roster, that being defensive line, offensive line, interior, in the trenches, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they came out of the first round uh, addressing needs that were lower on the list. You know, we did the needs show prior to the draft. Uh, where our current roster evaluation was, and uh, both both those picks address needs further on down the list, which led to a, a, you know some disappointment and a, a large discussion with us about what that really meant and and if those were great values or not. In retrospect, now looking back on the on the whole draft as a whole, I kind of appreciate what the Seahawks did at the at the top of the draft, knowing that they did have to pivot. I know that they were probably going to choose. Uh, um, and like happened though was pretty well. I know they really had an interest. He was not there when I was the player available. Blue players in the draft, and just a handful for me. Devon Witherspoon, the cornerback, I think comes in immediately and has a, a very large impact on the roster. Kind of turns a a pretty solid, good. Um, cornerback room into an elite cornerback room for me. And I think, you know, come out of the first round and, and get a position group on your team up to elite status, I think that's a win for the Seattle. And then with the second pick, did the same thing in the wide receiver room. For a long time, having a third wide receiver option um, in this offense, we did that. And so I, for me, uh, I really thought they knocked it out of the park in the first round, uh, given the value of those positions and the impact that it will have on the roster. And then they came back later on and addressed some of the other stuff too. So I felt I felt pretty good about it. Well, cornerback was one of two positions on this roster, um, on this team, that if they did not get a player, uh, there was no there was no issue, right? If they didn't get a cornerback and they didn't get a tight end, everyone would be like, Cool. The roster set anyway. Uh, so for them to use the fifth overall pick on one of those two positions was very confusing. Um, I Witherspoon's a great player. He's a great player. He's going to come in and make an immediate impact. Um, but that's a huge investment in terms of the fifth overall pick, right? That's a lot of capital spent on the on one of two positions where they absolutely did not need another body. Um, and that's that's the part that that really uh, confused me about it. I mean, I'm not con- not in any way disparaging Witherspoon. He's a great prospect. He's a guy that's going to come in. Um, he's going to come into rookie minicamp as the starter opposite Wollen, and that's in a cornerback room that has Mike Jackson, who played really well last year. You know, Trey Brown, the draft pick from the year before, who played really well before he got hurt. Um, and Kobe Bryant, who is, you know, also a draft pick from last year, a key uh, contributor last year, who um, is looking to, you know, take a step forward and 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 carve out a larger role. Witherspoon's still the uh, the day one that like he's he is the starter as of right now, and he hasn't even put on a Seahawk uniform yet. Um, so great player, but just confusing pick in that why would you go? to the to the one position or one of two positions where you absolutely don't need a guy um 
with the second pick there in the first round, Smith uh, Najigma, um, again, love the player, probably the best receiver in the draft. Um, and by probably, I mean, at least within the draft process, considered the best receiver in the draft. Now, um, there's always someone who uh, just never lives up to the hype and other people who, you know, were taken in the rounds two or three that you're all of a sudden you're like, wow, these guys are really good. Tyler Lockett comes to mind. Um, but at the same time, like, there, I mean, okay, with that pick, that's picks a little more understanding in that you had um, uh, Canty, um, Kalaja Canty, sitting there, and we thought he was going to be available, and then he, he got sniped at pick 19. And with that, with him gone, it was like, okay, do you trade down? Do you reach for Mozzie Smith, or do you take the best wide receiver in the draft. And they chose to take the best wide receiver in the draft. And I'm not going to fault them for that, given that they needed wide receiver. That was one of those positions that, yeah, it wasn't first or second on the uh, priority list, but I think it was third. And um, mm-hmm. or at least you, know, you and I kind of disagreed with where that fell, but whatever. It, you know what I mean? It, it was with it was right there. Sure, um, sure, sure. And, and, you know, I think that points to their overarching philosophy, both those picks in that they were going to go for best player available. Now they talked specifically in the news conference that they had after the first round about how the draft just didn't fall for them correctly. And, and they, they had a couple of disappointments essentially out of that. And I think one of them was Richardson not falling to them at at five and then not being, uh, not either getting uh, adequate draft compensation to, to drop back. Or they just really felt convict uh, conviction with the Witherspoon pick, and you know if you listen to everything they say, and you take it with a grain of salt a little bit, but nonetheless they were very effusive on their praise with Witherspoon and how he fits and what they plan to do with him and how aggressive he was. He was just kind of a special player, you know. According if you read between the weeds, according to what Pete Carroll said, this guy was a, almost a generational talent at that spot and uh, they, they virtually almost had no choice but to but to select him there um and then with with uh Najigba I think that that's a that's a great value pick for Seattle again best wide receiver in the draft in my opinion immediately locks down that number 3 wide receiver spot um a chain mover for sure but just more than that he can compete uh complete the the wide receiver room in Seattle and eventually surplant possibly Tyler Lockett as the go-to target for Gino or another quarterback, you know, into the future. Um, and I, and I think you'd start to address those sorts of needs with, um, with players of this stature, uh, as you look at Tyler Lockett aging in the system and so forth, he's great right now, but you know, that, uh, aging process can happen overnight. And, um, so I, I really love that pick. This is where it kind of gets squirrely for, uh, both of us in this draft. I, in, in going into the second round day two, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I like the picks, uh, better than you on the, on the whole. And, um, I think they will have a great impact on the roster, but we can talk about them individually just a little bit. Derek Hall, the, uh, what they called the edge rusher. He's more of a, uh, base defensive end, um, out of Auburn with the, uh, pick number 37 in the second round speed to power guy, you know, alpha dog, a great culture guy, a, a good leader. Those attributes, I think, is what really tipped the scales for Seattle. Um, you had mentioned uh, when we had discussions about after the uh, the pick 
about what going out and watching some game film on him immediately and being less than impressed. Mm-hmm. And I think there's enough attributes there that I saw, um, and, as well as taking a look at all of the, the accumulated uh, things that have been said about him as far as uh, in scouting reports and so forth, uh, praising the pick. I think that there's enough there to work for that I think he can have an impact right away. I think that, you know, he's got some tools and now they just need to be refined. And I believe in, you know, in the coaching staff that's going to be able to do that. What is uh, giving you some pause here on the pick? Well, I watched every single snap he played um, of the um, game against Alabama, um, right as soon as they made the pick. Like, uh, and he made three plays in that entire game. Um, one was someone else tipped a pass, and he turned around and, and was able to catch it. There was one where he um, dove inside and, and made a um, a stop on uh, a running play, and another one where you know he was able to get around on the edge and get a sack. Um, the rest of the game, he was a complete no show. Didn't didn't generate pressure. Didn't um, you know get to the quarterback in any way. And I know when we were because we watched day two together, you were. Um, you were telling me, you know, well, it's, you know, it's, it's Alabama. That's really good. Um, good team. Do you think they're going to be less good in the NFL? No, they're going to be it's, better. It, the only thing so, that I would, you know, pause on with, with that is it's a one game sample. A and B it's Alabama. Uh, well, C, I, we don't okay, know I, if he was injured, had an injury or had any sort of impact at all in, in the game. Um, I know that, you know, he had he ended up with what seven or eight sacks in the season, tons of pressures. He's got this, you know. He, he went to the combine, kind of knocked it out of the park. Uh, there's a lot to like there, and and I don't know that you know I would take one game and kind of turn my uh, my entire thought process on on its head with him. Well, I, also, but I get that I then, though. It's, I it then went and did the same exact thing against Missouri, which is not Alabama. It's kind of the opposite of Alabama in the SEC. Um, and watched him play there and again it was a lot of it was a lot of nothing i mean as a run defender he's really good he sets an edge very well he's he one plays, of the best run he plays in the, in very the, very smartly yeah. um against yeah. the run sets an edge but he's an edge player he's a pass rusher get to the freaking quarterback and i did not see him do that even against missouri and it, it just gives me pause because i think what you're Drafting here is a combine guy who just wasn't dominant. He was not a um, he was not a dominant player. He didn't look special in either of those two games, and that makes me worry. Um, so I mean, it really comes down to I mean, you look at Daryl Taylor, who's kind of struggled and, and other games, a little bit, I mean, and look- he's been also been been very um, he's he looked really dominant. And then there are times in as a pro where he start that starts to show up. Um, Hall never did in, in any of the games that I watched. So, yeah, you know, fair. Um, and, and when you watch every and every, or, you know, every snap and every game, that's other than watching highlights for sure. I went out and just watched some highlights, um, this morning on him just cause I just didn't have time to dive in on the prospect. Um, but uh, you know, there was a lot to like there and, and he did show up in, in quite a few of those. And, and some of those highlights were, you know, 10, 12 plays in, in a game, um, where he showed up. And so, 
maybe uh, you know i i have hope for the pick i like the pick I, it's a it's an area where seattle may have uh on paper anyway looked sufficiently stacked um at that spot uh this season but i think overall when you add to the pile and you set it yourself you can't have um enough you never have rushers. too many pass rushers uh, he, he's he's part of that rotation and he gets into the system and um I, I really like the idea of what they talked about as far as his um, alpha dog mentality and his leadership qualities that he would bring to the team. I think that's really important. And that's one of the things, the cultural aspect of this pick, I think is really important to, the, to uh, Seattle. And um, so I like that for that reason as well. All right, let's well, talk about one the, the second pick. In the well, pick. actually I want to, wanted to go back to that because um, there, we don't know what scheme they're going to run next year. Are they going to go with, going to stay with the three, four, um, the bare front kind of situation where they had, um, last year, or are they going to go back to the four, three, um, the way Richard Sherman said that they were planning on, even though no one else has confirmed what, what Sherman said. Um, if they go back to the four, three, he become, uh, Derek Hall becomes uh, a Sam linebacker, not a defensive end. And he basically is, um, Bruce Irvin during his first uh, tenure with Seattle. In that role, Derek Hall can be very good. So you don't think he would be more of a Cliff Averill type player? No. No, I didn't see any of any of that on the tape. I mean, he Um, ran a a four five five forty and had a one five five split um, and showed some explosiveness in his testing. That sounds a lot like Bruce Irvin. Yeah, but he's two fifty as a as that's a little heavy to be a, a sam don't you think not at all not at all um okay. interesting okay so let's talk about zach charbonnet so for okay. me one of the my, my favorite prospects out of the draft regardless of where he's chosen i know that there's that thing um i just want to like get that out of the way yeah he's a running back we we chose uh walker in a similar area in the draft last year um, for me, here, here's my argument for him in that, uh, when you take a look at Walker as, as your one, a running back on the roster, um, they didn't have a one B on the roster. Uh, second point, when you take a look at Walker, he was injured all last off season prior to training camp. So he came in, uh, to the rookie camp was, was nicked up, injured, couldn't really participate. Uh, didn't participate a ton in training camp uh, for for various reasons. Kind of then started behind the eight ball uh, at the beginning of the season. Rashad Penny was there. Uh, he took the the bulk of the carries. Walker really didn't have an impact on any games really until what game five, game six, um, and and he ended up being great. And but I would think that the team views this position obviously more importantly than most teams in the NFL. There are, you know, uh, as, as the NFL running back um, thing goes, it's really important to have, you know, starting caliber uh, tandem in the NFL now. There's really very few teams that operate just on one running back. So to get that important position locked up with, with a very good, talented player is good. Now, yeah, we could have waited until the seventh round. We did. We got Kenny McIntosh with the last pick. But Kenny McIntosh is not the same running back as Zach Charbonnet, and I think would have a um, not as uh, as an impactful uh, result as a player 
on the field if, if he was to take snaps full time. I think Zach Charbonnet is a perfect fit for this offense. Uh, between the tackles guy, very powerful, uh, elusive, uh, has, has a great juke move on him. He's a great uh, receiver out of the backfield. I would argue almost that Zach Charbonnet is a better fit at running back than Ken Walker in this system and could possibly end up having more carries by the end of the season than uh, Ken Walker, and Ken Walker becomes the complimentary back. Um, that's how good this guy is. Yeah, I know you really like him. I, I'm I'm trying really hard to come up with a way to criticize this particular pick other than um, the the other guys that were available and the, and the bigger needs. But the truth is, as far as player goes, yeah, I can't criticize that. As far as, um, you know, waiting until pick 52 to get a running back, I, I'm not really gonna, going to, to criticize that either. Um, I like the pick. Uh, I, I mean, there were... That was where a guy like, um, you know, John Michael Schmitz or Luke Weipler or um, any of those centers. um, I think Osiris Torrance was still available at that point. Like they, they could, they could have made a a major impact on uh, in the trenches where they still need help. Um, But the truth is Charbonnet is a great fit. It, it, It does fill a need. They needed a running back. Um, do they need a, um, they didn't need a like a bell cow starter because they have Walker, but they needed a piece that they could put in because if Walker gets hurt, you got to have the guy that can step in. And also you need you just want rotation. You you want to have two guys at the position um, at all times. And he's he's they filled that role. He's done. And I, I really can't criticize um, him in any way, um, just like the two first round picks, just a fantastic player um, that makes an instant Im- impact. Um, I just, I, there's a guy from Texas that you really, really like that they could have yeah. had much later, much that I think, ha- I think could have, I think could have, um, also had, you know, filled that same role, um, in terms of what they, what the Seahawks were looking to do. Um, and it would have freed them up at this point to get a, um, a trench guy, which they needed, but he's a special player. Let, let's just, let's just say that he's a special, special guy. So, so, yeah. um, you know, so originally Seattle had uh, the, the third round pick and number 83 overall ended up trading out of that pick um, back to the fourth round pick 108 overall and also picked up a third round pick in 2024. If you go look at the if the draft trade charts and, and all that stuff where you um, can estimate value of the trade, we knocked it out of the park. Um, oh, this is this is a fleecing um, by Seattle of Denver. I mean. There's no way to 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 spin this in any other way. Um, would have been have been like the Seahawks. There was a lot of good players available when the Seahawks would have picked, um, and so it would have been nice to get one of those guys. Uh, but in terms of the grand scheme of things, you they generated a fourth round pick out of nothing, out of thin air, because a third uh, a third round, not a fourth, a third. No, a fourth round pick because. Um, you take their third round this year, trade it for a third round next true, year. True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah. Um, which it. are going to be in the same range. It's not like it's going to be. Um. Oh, well, yeah. But they traded a a third round pick in the '60s for what's going to be a third round pick in the '80s. Now they're both going to be about the same in about the same spot. Um, in the draft. Um, and they got a fourth round pick for free. 
um, by doing that. And so they they literally just generated the 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 sixth pick in the fourth round out of thin air um, for doing this, and they increased their draft um, capital next year, which just helps it just helps as they continue to build this roster and by all accounts that's a superior draft class overall next year um okay so with that first pick in the uh fourth round that we had 108 overall we chose anthony bradford out of lsu offensive guard big guy uh mauler uh kind of a, a i thought one of the best if not the best mauling guard in this draft um he needs to work on his footwork a little bit, but you know, Andy Dickerson's his coach seemed to work out last year with the two tackles. We, we got, he's, he slides in next to Abraham Lucas, I think competes right away with Phil Haynes for that starting spot. I think that's how good he is. I personally had him as a kind of a third round grade, uh, to able to get him there in the, in the fourth round, I thought is, is good value. And I think he comes in right away. And you and I talked about this a little bit, um, as far as impact on the, the roster and able to compete in that he's at least competing for that uh that spot and can come in and really have um a, a nice impact right away yeah um he's a guy that i think uh you know it's gonna come down to to camp and who gets hurt and who is on the field every day and that kind of stuff but him and him and phil haynes are very similar players and like extremely similar players um and they're competing for the same job. And on uh, when it comes down to it, if they're very similar players and they're very similar skill, uh, you want the younger guy to win. So we'll hope that that happens. Um, he's a guy that, yeah, he's very similar to Phil Haynes. He's going to have very similar um, uh, abilities and strengths and weaknesses. Um He's a guy, he's massive, he's just a huge mauler in there, can take defensive tackles and drive them backwards. Um, but he's a guy that is designed to play in, in a phone booth. Um, he doesn't have the lateral agility, he doesn't have the foot speed. Um, and in a, in, a, in a zone scheme, that might be a liability, um, where he can't just latch onto the guy in front of him and push him straight backwards. You're asking to push him sideways and that kind of stuff. And against the... Um, as a pass blocker, you know, he's going to have a little bit of, um, liability to really good gap penetrators, um, on either side of him, um, and, or people that, you know, running on, running a twist or, a um, a stunt where he's got to react and pick up the faster footed guy, um, coming through. That's more, this is all more about like, you know, the team's got to know what they have. They do. Um, and they've got to make sure to account for these things. Um, when they're calling plays and designing blocking uh, schemes and um, making sure that they have line calls called in a way that don't put him on an island where he's going to fail. Um, and they can do that. I mean, they did that um, with Phil Haynes in the past. They did that especially, you know, in the game when you have um, um, the right tackle. Um, God, why can I not remember his name? Kerhan. Um, when oh, Kerhan came Kerhan. inside and 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 came in and, and played right tackle because both the other two guys were hurt. Um, he has very he's very similar in terms of like just his liabilities um as a blocker. And so just being able to go in and 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 kind of just set that and um make sure that they're they're accounting for that 
um, they can do. And if they do those things, which they've shown every in, um, indication that they're willing to, they can get a lot of production out of this guy. He's just a massive human being who pushes people backwards. Um, and, and he did have some good agility, solid agility testing yeah, at the combine ran a, uh, 508 40 and then his, um, his athletic attributes as far as, um, his three cone and short shuttle and, um, vertical, you know, all that pointed towards a guy that can kind of get out in space and do it. Maybe it just needs some refinement. I don't know, but it doesn't, it doesn't show up on his tape at all. Okay. It shows up when he get, when they try and get him in space, he looks lost. Um, guys just run around him. Um, he's a, he's a phone booth guy and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, because the CX don't pull guards when they run outside, they run a stretch zone where people stay in their spot and they, um, they don't, they don't pull. And so they don't need guys to pull. Um, and in a case like this, where you're, where you've got a guy like this and you, you need someone up at the second level to block a linebacker, send your center, right? Set up a double team with, with the, um, the guard let him let make sure the guard gets engaged and then the center releases and gets up to the next level and um and, and gets on a linebacker i mean it doesn't have to be the guard that does it you can be the center and, and oftentimes it's determined you know in, in this scheme it's determined by the alignment of the um of the defensive player whether they're you know on on one shoulder or the other who's going to be um the primary and who's going to be the secondary on that double team. So um, they can make it work. They really can. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's got early in Pete Carroll's tenure. It was um, find guys with unique traits. Um, Don't worry about trying to find complete players, especially later in the draft. Just find guys with unique traits that you can use. And this is very much a unique trait guy. He's an absolute mauler um, and take advantage of what he can do. Don't worry about what he can't do. And um, just philosophically, it's a good pick. And I, I like the fact that he can come in and at least compete for a job right away. Yeah, interesting. And this is the first uh, pick that the Seahawks used to address the the trenches. And um, I think it's a good pick. I think he comes in right away and, and at least uh, is competitive. So uh, we'll see how that goes. How about defensive tackle Cameron Young um, for uh, round four pick 123 overall, our native pick. I like this pick. I liked him since uh, the senior bowl where he really kind of showed up um, as a, as a guy that's um, still only what three Oh four, something like that. Three Oh four, six, three, three Oh four. But uh, Clint hurt on his conference call with him uh, <laughs> told him to eat. Yeah. Bring, bring, uh, you know, taking all the calories he can. They want him to beef up a little bit. Sounds like they're going to try to put him at nose tackle uh, in this, uh, scheme and, um, as well as a little bit of three tech, but, uh, move him inside a little bit and let him compete in there. And, yeah. um, we'll, we'll see how he does. It seems to me right away, the guy is, you know, a, a rotational piece unless Seattle does something, um, to bring in Al Woods or, or Puna Ford right away. Um, you know, so to, I think he's going to be, he's going to be, a, ends up being a really good player for Seattle. It may take a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy um, with unnaturally long arms, which is great for a defensive lineman because you can keep the the offensive lineman off you. Um, he plays a little high with his pad level, which they need, they're going to have to coach out and fix. And if they do that, you're going to see him be even better. 
Um, I liked this pick. I had him as a third round guy because I thought mm-hmm. his his physical attributes were going to um, going to see him win in a lot of ways, even with with technique that was uh, less than optimal. And we've seen Seattle's coaching staff, um, you know, Clint Hurt and company up front get guys fixed as far as their like uh, technique and mechanics um, so they can really use some of those um, those skill. He's just got power. He's just straight up powerful. Uh, long arms will stop, you know, the linemen from being able to get on him and push him and said he's going to be pushing them. Um, and just a just a, a massive guy that just needs some he needs some technique tweaks. And once they they get there, um, he's going to be great. He's a nose tackle. I honestly think that um, his he, he is not a, a an his interior athletic, pass rusher. Yeah, his athletic profile dictates he's a nose tackle. His yeah. size and and weight and length dictate he's a, kind of a, a defensive end uh, prospect. But his short shuttle at, at you know seventeen percentile and his ten yard split at one eight zero and his vertical at twenty eight and a half and his broad jump um, he's a nose and, and three cone he doesn't have the athletic profile right so they want to beef him up a little bit move him inside full time and I think that's the yep. right spot that's the right thing to do with him because he does look like he can, he can be successful there but it's going to take it could take a season because yeah. you've got to you know add the functional strength and weight to kind of bulk well, up a little bit as far as core strength and, and functional yeah, strength strong, i think he yeah. has it yeah. um this is usually when they're like oh let's let's build this guy up it's like okay you're gonna put a bunch of fat on him and he's not but he's he's gonna lose what athleticism he does have in this case this guy's got the strength he's a powerful powerful dude they just need to make it harder for other guys to push him so some of it is going to be yeah he's going to have to bulk up um but he's not a guy that i worry about in terms of if he puts on weight by eating rather than by lifting um i'm not worried about it hurting him so uh hopefully they can get him up they can get him up to weight this year so he can play the position and use it and then he can use next all off season and next year to convert that that mass from fat back into muscle and end up being a guy that's 330 who's um fit and i think at that point he's going to look really really nice as a nose tackle so one of the prospects that I really liked early in the process before the combine was defensive end Mike Morris. We picked him up uh, with our fifth uh, round pick, 151 overall. He was a guy that I looked at as potentially being available, you know, and, and picking and selecting in the early fourth round with our uh, 123 pick. And then he went to the combine, Keith, and he just he just had a poor showing. Ran a 5.0440 oh, and then a 5.0840 at his pro day. Um had seven and a half uh, Big Ten defensive linemen of the year, and could say that he had the skills and and on film looked like maybe a top fifty type pick, and then going to the combine and and really just ran himself out of the edge spot where he played at in college, and now you're, you're looking like you need to bulk up a little bit into the you know three hundred range, which he's uh, doing and has been asked to do by the team, so that he can be a defensive end within a three four front and. So that's, I think, why they picked him. That's where they envisioned him playing. And I think he has some skill set there to be attractive. But again, this is one of those guys I think you're probably banking on having a larger impact in 2024. Um, who is the the defensive end from Army? Um, that ever was Carter. like, 
yeah, he was thought of as a second round pick in, in that range. Then he came into the combine and just looked right. awfully Similar. slow. Uh, Andre Carter, I think, is, is what yeah, um, and 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 just tanked his draft stock. Um, very similar thing that happened here. Um, you know, I agree with you. I, I liked Morris pre-combine um, just because his tape looks good. You know, um, 6'5", 275, he's a five-tech, uh, long arms, and, you know, does all the, the things that you want a five-tech to do. Right? He's not going to beat you around the corner, um, but he's, he's still quick. He, he can get inside. He can move people around. He's bulked up to what it is it like 382 or something like that now. Um, and he's going to continue to bulk up. Uh, 282. Yeah, 382. 382. That's 100 pounds in a couple of weeks now. <laughs> um, 282. He's getting, he, he's working on getting up there. He's probably going to be, um, you know, 295 at the start of camp. People have a hard time keeping the weight on during camp just because of all the work that they do. Um, probably have a playing weight around um, 290 this year. He's a great looking five tech. Um, and I honestly, you look at his tape and there are times when he looks quick, he looks explosive mm-hmm. and none of that showed up at the combine. Um, and, yeah, and that's the guy really... had, uh, 35 total pressures, 19 quarterback hurries, seven QB hits and nine sacks playing for Michigan last year, you know, mm-hmm. so this he's productive, um, and it shows up on tape. It just didn't show up in, in the agility testing and straight line speed. So uh, what do you what do you do with that? He looks like he's a, a real powerful guy. He's a leader on their on their defense. Um, guy that comes in with high character, and so they're hoping it just translates, you know. And and when you texted me last night, you were saying, "Oh, we have a lot of rotational guy and, and some back end talent in in this draft." I think this is the kind of prospect that we're we're talking about. Where yeah, it's going to take him a, a little while to kind of inter- integrate into a new position where he's you know, going to have to learn and, and learn the defense and they're going to have to figure out if, if he can do, he can still play at that spot and still have the same effect on a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it comes down to this guy. Um, he's kind of got LJ Collier written on him. Right. Who was yeah. made, was a massive disappointment um, in Seattle. The difference is instead of using a, um, you know the first right. their first pick in the draft on him they they got him way down um in round 5 but he's he's definitely got an LJ Collier look to him if he can um if he can improve what he does with his hands and do a better job of battling um and and not letting uh the offensive lineman you know get latch onto him and 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 beat him um with that punch um he has a chance to, 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 to be better and more productive, but they've really got to focus on him and, and he'll be one of those guys that if they can get into that MMA um, stuff that they did a few years ago and really teach people how to use their hands uh, in that way, he could be, he could turn out to be a, um, a significantly better player. Um, yeah. With, I don't, with his I, length and strength, I think he's got some upside for sure. Oh, he absolutely does. Um, so I think LJ Collier is kind of his floor. Like they could, they could plug him in right now and he could be as, um, useless as, okay, not really, but, uh, as LJ Collier was, but, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he, he could have that impact today to be what LJ Collier was after four years with the team. Um, and he can only get better from there. So, um, ultimately they lost Collier in the off season and by lost, I meant 
wave to him as he walked away. Um, and they replaced him in the rotation with a guy with, with, with more upside. So I don't, uh, I don't, I didn't mind this pick where it was. I agree with you. I, I was someone who I thought they, they would target just as combine scoring scores were so weird because they're just absolutely not expected to be that bad. Right. Right. Great. Kind of crazy. All right. So the next pick, we went back to the, to the well, with, uh, at Michigan and, uh, at one fifty four, chose center Olusum Uluwatimi. Um, the Outland and Remington Award winners in in 2022, which goes to the best center and the top interior offensive lineman in college football. And it, it's interesting because early in this process, in January, February, when I started to look at prospects and center was going to be a position that we were going to address, uh, he, he came up and I was like, why is he projected to be a fourth round guy? Um, I'm, not, I'm not understanding a, a guy that's w- winning those awards has 3,000 snaps under his belt, has been a starter in three different programs in college, essentially has started almost every game he's ever played in, in college, and uh, a really smart guy, all that kind of stuff. Why is he, he lagging back? Um, and maybe we'll, we can find that answer. Maybe you know right now, but um, sounds like he's limited athletically, but his uh, smarts and technique make up for it. Well, he is limited um, athletically. I think that's part of it. Um, and he's more of a uh, a technician in terms of he's not just a you know pure physical guy. Um, but then he makes mistakes with his technique. Um, and so he, you see plays where um, the nose tackle will actually intentionally wait for him to stand up. Um, rather than engage right away, so then they could come forward on him and knock him back, and you can't do that. You've got to you've got to actually get up and and make contact and and not have that gap between you, um, because the Aaron Donalds of the world are going to eat this guy alive um, until he fixes that. Um, and sometimes, like with twists and and stunts, he gets chasing, and he gets himself turned sideways, and um, you can't do that either. You got to be able to move your feet, slide. Um, and keep yourself square so that way you can have that strength and power. So there's a there there are some things he's not very good in space. He gets out in front and doesn't really know what to do. Um, not much of an issue with in in Seattle scheme because they play zone instead of um, they don't pull guards like that. Uh, it's more just of you know what does he do when he gets to the second level? Um, can he locate, find, and make that uh, block on the linebacker and and not you know have the guy just you know, duck their shoulder and run around him. Um, and that might be something that he can, they can pick up on and, and, and give him some ideas that will help him out. Um, but he's kind of dropped, you know, the, he doesn't have a super high end athletic uh, profile. And then there's also some um, mistakes as far as like the way he does stuff and the way he's been taught, which is weird given, you know, the awards that he's won and the fact that um, the Jim Moore award, which is given to the best offensive line in, in football um, Michigan's won it two years in a row, you know, and he's kind of been their leader in the middle of that. Um, and for to see, to see some of the, um, the technique just, it's like he, he hasn't been coached that well, which is sad, but you know what I mean? Because like the, the best offensive line two years in a row and he's won all these awards. And, um, so we'll see what happens when he comes in. Um, he is what's, a guy what's that the upside with him, Keith, what's the, the floor, what's the ceiling? So the floor is um, 
probably Austin Blythe, where he just ends up making um, enough mistakes and doesn't have the athleticism to recover and just gets beat a lot, but is really smart and 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 does stuff. Um, the ceiling for him is I'm trying to think of a good um, example. Um, Justin Britt. No, I mean he's not, he's not the same size. As, what I'm saying is he would be like a league average center, like sure. you know, ranked fifteenth to twentieth, and and yeah, just do I mean, an adequate could, job for you and make all the line calls, which is really important. Get everyone in position, kind of a leadership. You know, he's got that that built in leadership kind of quality about him. So if he can the, win the job, I think he would do do well. Who was the center that Seattle brought in to play next to? Um, you know, in in that line um, next to, um, like Robbie Tobeck? That's the guy I'm thinking. Of. Wow, I, I I couldn't even finish a sentence because I I'm trying to come up with um <laughs> with with the names of all the guys uh, on that line, and I'm like, uh, yeah, Robbie Tobeck is is kind of where where I see his ceiling, a guy that um isn't huge, not super athletic, but plays smart, does stuff well, and just doesn't you, you can get him to a point where he just doesn't make that mistake and ends up being an asset um in the way that he communicates and the way that he gets everybody on the same page at all times uh, robbie tobeck was perfect for um what seattle needed at that moment um of course he was a veteran by then um but i could see this guy turning into a robbie tobeck yeah could be worse could be worse um, and, and then at the end, we finished out with a couple of players around 198 overall out of New Mexico. And then in round seven, uh, pick 237 overall to end the draft running back Kenny McIntosh out of Georgia. I like both those picks. I really like the Kenny McIntosh pick, um, as far as the value that he brings. I thought, it, you know, at that spot in the draft, there was a lot of players, a lot of, um, big boards out there, uh, consensus big boards that had him in the uh, late third, fourth round, uh, as far as a grade, uh, I think he comes in right away, makes the roster, um, and, uh, becomes kind of that, uh, that Homer type running back in Seattle's offense, catches some balls out of the backfield, special teams guy, maybe eventually works himself up into a larger role. Uh, but we'll see. And then safety, Jarek Reed, just kind of a tenacious player on the small side, uh, for a safety, but, but tested very well. Uh, one of the, probably the third or fourth most athletic uh, safeties in the draft class. Uh, mm-hmm. But just New Mexico uh, has some issues with, you know, certain things, certain aspects of his game that they'll have to work on, but they're hoping he can come in and, and uh, play special teams right away. In fact, they said so on his conference call. Yeah. Um, I like the running back uh, in that he's different than what they've got. He's not just another um He's not just an, another between the tackles pounder. He's a third down back. He's Travis Homer. Um, if he had run faster instead of being in the four six range, if he had run in the four four range, he would have been a third round pick. Um, yes. He's got that. Correct. He's got that um, production, that smarts, the agility. Um, a guy that you know you don't want to, you don't need to, you don't want him running between the tackles a lot because he's just not that guy. But he's a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. You can line him up in the slot if you, um, you know, r- r- put, run him out there from the from the backfield to the slot in order to, um, you know, create some mismatches. He's he's a 
an interesting player, very Travis Homer-esque. Um, and, you know, having lost Homer in the offseason, they just replaced him. So I like that. Um, as far as the, the safety goes, yeah, high um, football IQ guy. Uh, no idea about his overall um, athleticism because he wasn't a combine invite. Um, does take some weird angles to some passes or to some runners, um, which you don't like to see, but um, and, and doesn't um, tend to go up and contest balls uh, in like 50-50 situations all that well because he mistimes things a lot. So those are the um, kind of the, the the drawbacks with him. But he's a guy that, I mean, he was playing at New Mexico. That's a low um, you know, quality of opponent, low quality of play. Um, he's going to need some coaching, some time to development, or time to develop. He's going to be a, a special teamer right away with a chance to become a, a more productive player down the down the road. So uh, Seattle also went out and signed just a ton of uh, undrafted rookie free agents. Haven't had a chance to completely look at that class yet. A couple names stand out. Noah uh, Grindorf, uh, the tight end out of North Dakota State, has some athletic upside. Jonathan Sutherland, um, safety, uh, big, bigger safety, box-type safety, I thought was interesting. Matt Landers, wide receiver out of Arkansas, is a bigger prospect who runs very fast. So he's into the like a 6'4", 2 uh, 208 and runs like in a, in a four, three, seven, four, three, eight, 40. Um, yeah. so that's a very interesting type prospect. Straight line runner with that, that size, that speed. Um, he'll just be out there sprinting down the sideline, taking the top <laughs> off the defense and forcing the, the free safety to relocate. That's, um, and you know what you need guys like that. Um, so I'm, so, there's some nice guys. There's some other yeah. interesting names on there, but I think we'll talk about that in another show. Yeah, um, for sure. I think, you know, overall, Keith, you know, when you factor in what we did in free agency, we added Dramont Jones. We got um, Bobby Wagner back, Julian Love, Jerron Reed. We went in the draft. Um, I think, you know, as the draft finished, uh, we were able to address some of those uh, trench positions, interior um, uh, defensive line and offensive line as well as round, round out um, some different prospects. I came away really liking this draft, um, and I think the roster has definitely improved. I'm probably a little more bullish on it than you are as far as thinking uh, that there's going to be maybe five selections out of this draft that will have an impact in, in 2023 um, and, and a solid impact. And, and to me, I think that the overall I would probably give this draft a b plus to a minus um there are other uh services out there other uh like espn pff etc who are giving this draft class an a um mm -hmm. i'm more of a wait and see just because of some of those middle level uh prospects that we talked about i think if if they get uh their center to fat in fact turn out and, and beat out evan brown for the starting center role and they get cameron young to come in right away and have a, an impactful uh, rotation role there at um, at the nose tackle position, um, and and maybe a guy like Derek Hall turns out a little better than the tape against Alabama. Um, then to me, this draft class is a home run hit for sure. Yep, it might and it might just be role. You know, find, getting Derek Hall into the right role, um, as it was with Bruce Irvin when they tried to have him be an edge rusher and. Uh, come off the edge it didn't work well but when they moved him into sam linebacker and allowed him to um he became an every down player and that's the kind of thing that um if if they make Derek call a sam linebacker 
I think he could be a, a better player than he showed in college. Um, but if they're asking him to just be that pin your ear back and go guy, I just it doesn't show up on his tape. Um, and they have talked but, about possibly having him bulk up a little bit and move inside. Um, not not a lot, but but enough to where he can you know buff be up into the two seventy range, depending on the 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 hybrid type defense they do roll out. Yeah, um, they could just, have. You know. It comes down to the scheme. Um, yeah. Obviously, like Witherspoon's a um, Pro Bowl level cornerback, um, is how he's day, day one starter. Yep. Day one starter. Um, Smith Najigma um, is your third receiver day one. And since teams run three receivers more than any other package, that's a starter. Um, after that, though, there's a lot of backups, right? Derek Hall at this moment is. Um, Uchina Nuwasu's backup, Zach Charbonnet is at this moment, um, Ken Walker's backup, uh, Anthony Bradford will have to beat out, um, Phil Haynes. So, um, and there's no guarantee he's going to do that. He's kind of a backup, um, guard. Cameron Young is not ready to be a starting nose tackle at this point. So you're going to see a lot of Brian Monet on early downs, um, or Jerron Reed. And then, you know, Cameron Young will be just be a rotational piece. I think it's going to end up being Puna Ford. I think they, 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 they're on the phone with Puna Ford right now trying to negotiate a, a one-year deal for sure. I hope so. Um, because putting Puna Ford back into this scheme, he got Cameron Young, you know, learning from him. That would be amazing. Um, you know, Mike Morris is going to be um, a project. You know, a backup to Dre Jones at the five tech. Right. There's a lot of backups. Only a couple of, of guys that are going to make, um, you know, make the get on the field a lot. Um, that's Witherspoon and, and Smith and Jigma. Now, um, that is given these players on Seattle's current roster. That isn't really the reason why ESPN and them are saying that Seattle won this draft and they got an A and all of that is because they got the best cornerback in the draft, they got the best wide receiver in the draft, they've got a, a project defensive end who has really, really high upside. Um, Probably the second though, or third best running back. Yeah, I would say the number three running back in the entire draft. Um, you know, they got a a guard which is limited to some teams, but fits Seattle pretty well um, and has a high upside. They got a a nose tackle that other teams would kind of be like, eh, but fits Seattle's defense as long as you give him time to develop. Same with Morris at defensive end. Same with Oluwatomi at center. So you look not this year. But a year from now, um, at you know going into the uh, 2024 season, and you're going to have this draft class is going to look better going into the 2024 season than it does right now. So I can criticize and I can be that um, because it makes for fun uh, banter on this show. But the truth is, this is a good draft, and um, it points can, to a rebuilding team. It points it to does. a team that's rebuilding, and they're adding character and leadership qualities to the team as well as didn't reach in this draft i didn't think uh for, no for all, any player really and nope. kind of drafted for best player available i mean you could argue that the the charbonnet thing but you know that's where he was expected in fact he was expected to go slightly earlier reach. than that that wasn't a reach at all no no what i'm saying though is is overall they didn't they didn't reach for any prospects no they and, didn't but they you know the the what i'm saying on the charbonnet is you, you could argue and you did earlier that it could have been another position um mm -hmm of greater need but they really didn't 
philosophically approach the draft that way. And, and yep. I, I kind of like the way that the, it rolled out. I really do. I like all the players. I think, you know, it's, it's wait and see on, uh, anything past the, the, the third round there, the, the fourth round through seventh round, it's, it's wait and see. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they look good on paper, but you're right. Um, Bradford, well, let's see how he matches up and, and, and competes for that starting spot. Uh, Watimi, same thing. Let's find mm-hmm. out if Evan Brown really, you know, wants is hungry, proves his stuff and comes in and wants to take that spot. Or if this guy, based on the fact he started three, you know, uh, three and a half years, four years worth of college football is is comes in with that mindset and is going to take that spot that would be fantastic for me if, if this guy won that yeah. um, and then down you know everyone else we just talked about for sure i mean it, it comes down to you're right they did not reach in the past they've reached for position quite a bit that's how he ended up with lj collier on this roster and um you know some and of the, they didn't Penny reach and christian michael and you know, the list goes on and on yeah i mean they they didn't reach for anyone um they they sat there, they got good value at every spot along the thing. Um, and you can argue, okay, there were other guys and that would have helped this team more in 2023, um, that were available. But, you know, if you were to not take Smith Najigma and instead take Mozzie Smith, yeah, you know what, that makes the team better in 2023, but it certainly doesn't make the team better in 2024 in the same way that Smith Najigma will. Um, they just need to figure out how to um, fill the roster um, with talent, not just bodies, but talent in the positions where they needed to get guys and didn't. Um, you mentioned Puna Ford. Getting him on this roster is a, a necessity. Um, and uh, Or maybe Al Woods. Um, you know, maybe Shelby Harris. They, they, they need some bodies there. They need... Um, they need a, um, another interior lineman that they trust. They, they need, and they need to go find the cap space to sign these guys. Uh, it would have been nice if they'd picked them up in the draft, but they didn't. And instead, they got players that um, long-term will be major impactful guys. They just may not have that same impact as other guys would have made in 2023. But in, like I said, in 2024, they'll be better off for it. So one of the things, one of the positions they didn't address at all was quarterback, Keith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you thought uh, with Geno Smith's contract, the ability to get out of it, maybe they would address that in this draft. They they chose not to. Of course, the the obvious reason was that Anthony Richardson went one pick before them at mm-hmm. five uh, four overall, right before Seattle picked. Um, but uh, how do you feel about that? Where do you think that the team is uh, with that thought process? I think it was um, Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud or no one. Um, and then, you know, if Jake Hayner continued to fall, he would have been in play, you know, later. But the Saints grabbed him much earlier than I think people thought. Um, and really, that that was kind of it. You, you They were either going to take a guy at five, being Richardson or Stroud, um, or they weren't going to bother because they've got Geno and they're they're happy with that. And... Um, and I think they do really like Drew Locke. I mean, I, well, they I like him as we, we kind of poo-poo that. Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think that they they think that he might be able to still develop into something more than just a guy that sits on the bench all the time. Uh, he doesn't have that opportunity. Maybe we'll see a little bit more out of training camp. Um, 
but uh, it seems to me, at least the way that they talk about him, that they view him as something possibly a little more than just just that. But we'll we'll see long term. I don't I don't think so, but we'll we'll find out. I think they like him as a backup um, because of how he works and how he grinds tape and that kind of stuff. And I think they believe that he can sit and learn and continue to do those things as a backup and maybe take the Geno Smith role and become a better player when he's older and he's much more mature. And, um, that's a good point. Keith. And, um, have an opportunity to play once he's kind of been humbled a little bit, had a chance to, uh, but can have a chance to really become a student and learn the game rather than, you know, just trying to get out there and, and, and stuff. So I, I think that when you say they like him, they do. They, 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 the way they talk about him, the fact that they brought him back, got him signed really quickly. Um, yeah, he's a guy that they, that they like, but I don't think he's, they, they clearly don't view him as someone who's going to compete with Gino this year. Um, look at their contracts. Right. Um, but I think they like him. If Gino gets hurt, they know they've got a guy. And if, um, and if a couple of years from now, they still haven't figured out, you know, the, what, what comes after Gino, I think they'll give Locke a shot because at that point he will have done the Gino Smith route where he will have backed up the starter in town for, you know, three plus years and, um, looked like a guy that, you know, that people in the locker room trust and, and, and look up to and, and believe in. So, um, yeah, I think they give him, I, I think that's kind of his path right now. Yeah. No, those are all great points. I actually agree with that. All right, let's get out of here. Um, if you're still listening, uh, should have probably mentioned this up at the top of the show. We're uh, on uh, Dan Vian's show tomorrow night to kind of recap the draft with with Dan um, and on the Seahawks Forever podcast. So make sure you look out for that and uh, listen up if you can. You can find us on Twitter at Myers NFL for Keith, myself at NW Seahawk. You can find the show on your favorite podcast platform and our YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you do uh, that and hit that subscribe button. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com. Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.